Welcome to Sports History 101. Hello, people, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sports History 101. Well, hopefully it's another episode for you. If it's your first one, welcome to Sports History 101. I am your host, Ray Delgado. For those who have listened before, welcome back. Appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen. The college football world has now come to an end as of a couple of days ago now. And with that, I mean, the college sports landscape just keeps rolling right along. We've got college basketball going, both men's and women's. We've got hockey going now. You know, when the spring rolls around, we'll have baseball and lacrosse, all kinds of great sports going on, doing different things. And with college athletics comes All-Americans. So most every sport at this point, at least I'd say at least it has to be true. That's something I didn't actually uh, research there is if every sport has All-Americans. But at this point, all school-sponsored sports in general, NCAA-sponsored at the very least, all have All-Americans, All-American teams, because realistically, there isn't actually any criteria for coming up with your own All-American team. It's just whether schools or conferences or anything recognize you as a legitimate option. So some background, well, just to say, we are talking about collegiate All-Americans today. So buckle in. Hopefully this is interesting to you. I find it interesting, and uh, we'll see how we do. So the first all-American team was college football, and it was in 1889. It was made up of 11 players, all of which were from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. So if you know anything about college football from its essentially its beginnings, the best teams were Ivy League schools. So Harvard, Yale, Princeton were the best, continually the best. They won all the national championships for a number of years. So it makes sense that the first All-America team would have only players from those schools because they were the best. The first All-American team was selected by Casper Whitney and potentially Walter Camp. Now, you might have heard of Walter Camp. He has a Player of the Year award named after him, which has essentially taken a backseat to the Heisman Trophy winner. But he's a big deal in football, college football history. So he might have had a hand in selecting that first team. We don't know for certain, but at the very least, we know Casper Whitney was the main guy. They published their, or he published his All-American team in this week's sports. It was a big sports publication at the time. Big deal. A lot of people read it. On that team, one of the selections was actually Edgar Allan Poe. So Edgar Allan Poe is a poet. And he was not the one who was named in college football All-American. It was actually his cousin who was named after the poet. His family liked Edgar Allan Poe, the poet, so much that a cousin was named after him. And he became a collegiate All-American, one of the very first ones. In 1892, something pretty surprising, actually, from the, uh, the research here was William H. Lewis was the very first African-American All-American selected. Now, it's not surprising because African-Americans 
could be selected because they were great players just like they are now and always have been. But it was surprising that, you know, years before segregation was ended and really not that long after slavery was done away with, there was an African-American center who played for Harvard on the 1892 All-American team. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's something completely unexpected. And then he was so good that he was again selected the next year in 1893. In 1905, the Helms Foundation named their first basketball All-America team. So we start to kind of expand the scope a little bit as we go. And in 1929, the Helms Foundation, College Humor, which is not the ridiculous website and YouTube channel that it is now. College Humor was actually a a legitimate magazine and publication. And the Christie Walsh Syndicate started naming their own basketball teams as well. So that's quite a big jump, 1905 to 1929. So for a long time, it was just football, then became just football and basketball, men's basketball. And then, you know, 25 years later, we started to get more basketball and actually backing up just a little bit. So 1910, we had the first soccer team, soccer All-America team actually selected. And that was interesting because it was selected by the team captains in 1909 to 1910 for that season or those two years, I should say, which I just find very interesting. I mean, I'm sure there wasn't really another option available. And then from 1910 onwards to 1917, they were actually selected by the team managers, which I thought was another interesting thing. I just wonder how they, again, probably wasn't another option. I wonder how they trusted them to know what was going on in other places. But who knows? In 1947, the American Baseball Coaches Association, so the ABCA, still around today, selects their first college baseball All-America team. And in that time... It's a little surprising because baseball has been around for a very long time that the first All-America team would be 1947. And then shortly after that, 1954, men's hockey follows, 1975, women's basketball. Notably, that's 70 years past when the first men's basketball All-America team was named, which I think is a little ridiculous. Uh, Interestingly, field hockey and women's volleyball were both started in 1981. Softball was in 1984. So you kind of get this slow trickle of really random sports all of a sudden being included. I think what really changed things, at least on the women's side, was Title IX because that happened in the 70s. And then 75 into the 80s, you know, you get more women's sports actually uh, going and having All-America teams. Which, again, it doesn't take anything to actually name an All-American team. It just, you have to be recognized or just recognized as legitimate. There's no criteria. So I guarantee there were potentially All-American teams named for a while. They just weren't recognized as real teams. There's nothing necessarily saying that, but you'd have to imagine that that was the case. Because you can't just go for so long and never recognize who the best women's players were in their respective sports. But who knows? It's a different world back then. I wasn't around, so, you know, can't really say much. 
as we move down the line, a few other sports. So wrestling, I'm not really actually sure when that started. Couldn't find information specifically on when their first All-America team was a um, announced. And I should say team, it's really a top eight of each weight class. So wrestling, obviously they have different weight classes. You wrestle people in your weight class. And the top eight from each weight class in the rankings at the end of the year are earned All-America status. Golf, have absolutely no idea when that started. Uh, golf's kind of the, a tricky one because you play in college, you play professionally, you play amateur tournaments. You know, it's kind of all over the place. They kind of have their own ranking system and you kind of know already because it's it's a bit of a different sport in terms of everything. But yeah, so that one's kind of up in the air. And then lacrosse, actually. I did, this one's a little out of order. It started in 1971, which was interesting because lacrosse is very was very regional and it still is pretty regional. You know, it had only started moving out toward the west in the last 10 years, 10 15 years or so. So, starting in 1971, I mean, I'm sure it was mostly just northeast schools that were in it, but regardless, it's been around for quite a while. One thing that does not help with any of this stuff is the fact that the NCAA, the National Collegiate Association of Athletics, no, National Collegiate Athletics Association, excuse me, they, their records are awful. They haven't tried to really do a very good job of denoting the history of the NCAA, of all of their sports, and it shows because unless you're a men's basketball or football, they really don't have records all the way back or, you know, like, like all Americans, they don't tell you when they started or when they didn't. And everything that they have is very difficult to traverse. And I pinpoint them because they're the largest, obviously collegiate athletics association in the United States. You know, you have others like the NAIA and, for junior colleges, the NJCAA. But the NCAA is the biggest, has the largest scope, and it's been around the longest. So you'd imagine they'd have pretty good records, and they do not at all. But one thing that you do learn through a lot of digging and a lot of research is that there's national championships and a whole bunch of stuff. Like, for example, there's skiing and bowling and rifle and pistol and you know, just because they're kind of obscure sports that the general person doesn't really know about, you can be an All-American in those. And that means you're pretty dang good, regardless of whether you, you as the person who doesn't participate in that sport, thinks it's legitimate or not. Because if you're the best of the best at something, I mean, you deserve credit for it. So on that note, I'm going to take a break and get into a little bit more of All-American teams and kind of what that means today and how it affects players and teams and coaches and everything today. We'll be right back. All right. So nowadays, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, anybody can name an All-American team. And I mean, any blog, any small website, big website, organization, whatever, can name an All-American team for whatever sport that they want. And they can say, you are so-and-so All-American team. Like the Associated Press All-Americans, you know, and you get all the way down to the random sports blog All-Americans. 
So that means that now each sport, basically every sport, has multiple teams, multiple All-America teams, and you can be named to a slew of different All-American teams. But usually just one or two is actually recognized by the NCAA um, and the large you know, college athletics environment. So, for example, just in football, there as like legitimate, the big ones, the ones that people pay attention to, there's All-Americans named by ESPN, Associated Press, USA Today, Sporting News, CBS, 24-7 Sports, Walter Camp, Pro Football Focus, American Football Coaches Association, Sports Illustrated, The Athletic, the Football Writers Association of America, Bleacher Report, and I guarantee there are many others that I just didn't have the time to, to find because realistically at that point, is it really, you know, is it really necessary? So for example, one player will give you Joe Burrow when he was 2019, when he and LSU won the national championship. Joe Burrow was an AFCA, AP, The Athletic, CBS, ESPN, Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, and Walter Camp All-American. That's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine different All-American teams he made, which is just really funny. I don't know. Because you imagine it almost waters it down. I mean, great players know they're great. And being named to two All-American teams versus nine, I feel like doesn't make a huge difference there. And at least you'd hope it wouldn't. So in major sports today, I mean, being an All-American in, I say in major sports, so, you know, basketball, football, baseball, not so much hockey because their draft system is different, but major sports, you get a big payday. Usually it translates pretty, pretty much one-to-one. If you're a first team, second team All-American and multiple times, it's almost guaranteed that you're getting a payday of some kind when you win, not if, when you get drafted into the professional leagues of, of whatever sport you play. So that's usually a pretty good precursor to know whether someone's going to make it to the big leagues or not. Regardless of whether they have a successful career is something completely different. But being named a college All-American is, you know, it's a big deal. And it puts kind of another feather in the cap for a lot of athletes and helps them get drafted. It's also a recruiting tactic. Like for schools, schools will always show you, have on plaques, have on graphics, have in just multiple different places on all the brochures they give you, give to recruits as they come on campus. They'll tell you how many All-Americans they've had. And believe you me, they will count ESPN, AP, USA Today, Sporting News, CBS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They will count all of those. And include all of those in the count so that they have, you know, a huge, huge number of All-Americans so that they can show how great they are. One of the other things that kind of gets left behind, because when you get into big sports and sports that make money, you know, they don't really care about the uh, academic side of things. They care about the sports. Well, COSIDA which is the College Sports Information Directors of America, is Athletics Communications, if you anybody knows what that is. Essentially, they do all of the media and information 
and communications work for all of college athletics in every college across the United States. They name academic All-Americans. And that, at least in my mind, holds a little bit more credence to it because, one, only COSIDA does that. And being an academic All-American, like that means you're the best of the best, really, in, in school. And that's awesome. And, you know, I hear quotes from different athletes like Cardale Jones of Ohio State a few years ago said, we didn't come to play school. And like, that's fine and everything. But, you know, you're in school. You should at least try and learn something and be able to use it in your future. At the very least, financial literacy for when you go play professionally for however short a time it is, you can work well with your money. Regardless, COSIDA started naming academic All-Americans in 1992. and those, like I said, kind of get swept under the rug. Colleges will absolutely promote that they have so many academic All-Americans, but they don't mean anywhere near as much as the athletic side of things. Don't wait, don't mean anywhere near. But regardless, it's an All-American team, and I felt it absolutely necessary to mention in, in this podcast here. One of the newest aspects that I find really interesting, just in terms of what the implications could be, is name, image, and likeness implications. For players who become All-Americans in the time of NIL, you know how much does that help their, their marketability? How much does that help the bottom line of, how, of what they're going to earn? You know, where it's still too early in the infancy of NIL to actually be able to quantify that. But I think that's really interesting. An All-American athlete versus a non-All-American athlete. You know, what kind of, how much more does that move the needle or is it really just about like these social followings that people have and how much of a presence they have online or in the community that makes the difference rather than just, you know, their, their athletic prowess. But, you know, that's probably a story for another day. So collegiate All-Americans, all in all, it's great awards. It's awesome to always be recognized for, for when you're doing really well and for, how you're doing really, how you stack up against everybody else. It's nice to see the barometer. I'd say it's gotten a little bit out of hand for some sports. For some other sports, they only name one or two teams because they only have that many eyes on them. And and that's great. They still are all Americans and it's no less legitimate than the 13 teams that are for college football. And I'm sure there's 13 or 15 more for, for college basketball. But all in all, most of these kids in these other non-huge sports, you know, they just go into the normal working world. And at the very least, they can say and they can look back and go, I was an All-American. I was the best at what I did in college for one year, two year, four years, who knows? So that's great. I think the All-American system, again, completely arbitrary, not monitored, not regulated by any stretch. It's all personal opinion, but I think it, it certainly has some good, good merits to it. Well, I believe that is everything that we had for Collegiate All-Americans. Hopefully it was interesting. It's uh, kind of a weird subject to go through as to when All-Americans for different sports were introduced and, and what have you. But I think it was uh, something interesting to look at nevertheless. So thanks for sticking around. Tune in next time. And uh, until I... So you tune in the next time, stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you. Mm-hmm.